it's it's a it's a, it's really an honor when a pastor schedules you and then he takes a little break and trusts you to be there when it, when he's not there. So uh, uh, that is a, that's actually a, a a vote of confidence, and so we try to be we try to be worthy of that. Uh, and so, uh, but it's always a delight to be here uh, at Abundant Life and uh, to see you here. And uh, got some other friends that have come over to visit with us today. Got a whole row back there. So now listen, uh, since y'all came over here to hear me, if nobody else is saying amen, you got to do that, okay? Got to have an amen corner, and that goes for my wife too on this side, you know. Gotta, and then the rest of y'all, amen, you know, if it's even halfway good, say it, you know. But uh, it is good to be with you today. Uh, I, I, probably most of you know me. It's been, a, uh, I guess I was here last year. Brother Lynn wanted me to be here in March, and I had to cancel. I was scheduled to be here in March, but my dad had uh, a heart attack and open heart surgery, and we were, uh, he and mom lived with us, and we were kind of in the, uh, the, the uh, some of the early recovery period uh, time there with him. And so I was, had to cancel uh, some engagements and things, but uh, Brother Lynn asked me, he said, uh, get, you know, when you get through all that, give me, uh, let me know when to be a good time, and so we contacted him, and so he ended up scheduling us to come today. But I lead a ministry called World Missions and Evangelism. WME is a missions organization. We uh, send missionaries, and we uh, train uh, indigenous leaders. Indigenous means uh, like if you're in Mexico, the Mexicans are indigenous. Uh, we're the foreigners. So in Honduras, the Hondurans are indigenous. So we train indigenous leaders, uh, and we, uh, we uh, uh, send missionaries. And we have a, pro uh, a project. Our core project is called the NSTAR Project. And what we're doing is training people how to make disciples. How many of you know Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations? And what make disciples means, it means bring them to Jesus and help them to become followers of Jesus and we try to make disciples that make disciples and so that's our core thing and over the last several years we've been focused in Latin America and it started in Honduras and um, but it is now touching several other nations in Latin America I don't remember exactly what date I could have looked it up because I keep a record of these things but I didn't before I came what date I was here last year but if it has been about a year, if it's been about a year since I was here, uh, in the last year, by the grace of God, close to 2,000 churches and groups have been planted through this project, almost 2,000. Right now, there's 5,000. At the end of March, there were 5,485 groups and churches that had resulted from this project, and it's 15 generations deep. So what does that mean? It means we planted a group that planted a group that planted a group that planted a group that planted a group. That's five. Well, this thing is 15 generations deep. It's a movement. Thousands of people are coming to Christ. In the first three months of this year, on average, this is an average, over 17 people were saved and water baptized each day between January 1 and March 31 this year. And so we're seeing an amazing harvest of souls come to the Lord. And uh, uh, occasionally I go down and train people, uh, but we have a team that does that. We have missionaries that do that. We have indigenous teams that are doing that. And uh, this year, this month, actually this month of June, 
we are, uh, uh, some things may be scheduled over into July uh, now. There may be some date changes, but this month was, was targeted to be, we were training more disciple, doing more disciple making trainings this month than any other month in our history. We have, uh, this month, we've got uh, Eric Dehart, who lives in Brunei, and he's a missionary that you guys have supported. He's, he's, he's one of our missionaries. Uh, he flew to Myanmar, used to be called Burma and conducted our first disciple-making movement training there in Burma. Uh, he's also doing training in Brunei, where he's at. Uh, we've, got, we've had two trainings happen in Honduras this month. I just got back from West Virginia, which is really not the mission field, but well, where I was, it kind of seemed like it. We were really out in the middle of nowhere in the mountains. But what we were actually doing, a team of people from Columbia that are being trained in Florida at a place called iTech. Did any of you ever see a movie called The End of the Spear? Does that ring a bell? I don't know if any of you did. You've heard of Jim Elliott, uh, those missionaries from the 1950s that were martyred in Ecuador. Steve Saint was the pilot, and they made a book and a movie about it. Uh, one book was called Through Gates of Splendor, and then the other one was called The End of the Spear. They made a movie out of The End of the Spear. Well, that's uh, 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 Steve Saint's uh, father that was involved in that, and he was the little boy in that movie. Well, he's got a ministry called iTech. It means indigenous technology something. And they're using various technologies to take the gospel. Well, well, several of the iTech missionaries came to West Virginia for us to train them in, our DM, in the disciple-making movement strategy. And these guys are getting ready to deploy early next year to Columbia, to the Amazon, uh, using this uh, the strategy that we're teaching and some of the materials that we're that we're creating, and so uh, God is just opening doors for us to train people from multiple nations. And and uh, and uh, here's the thing about it: uh, every one of us, every you as a church, because you're a church that is supporting uh, WME. Everybody, that, how many of you understand? It's everybody working together that's getting the job done. You may say, well, I'm not a missionary. I just, you know, I live here and I go to this church in Calvert City. And, you know, well, but because you're a part of a church that is not only uh, spreading the gospel here, but it's also involved in giving to missions, you're part of that. I mean, some of you, some people in here, not me, I'm not, but some people in here are old enough to remember World War II. Is anybody in here old enough to remember any part of World War II? Let me see the hands. There's a few. There's one, two that will admit it right there. All right. Uh, uh, here's the thing about World War II. You know what they said about the American army? They said, we don't win battles, we just overwhelm the enemy. And that's really happened. And where did it start? It didn't start with G.I. Joe. It started with uh, that woman with the rivet gun in her hand. I can't remember what they called her. Huh? Rosie Riveter. That was it. And here's the point. Uh, when we were in World War II, what did we do? The whole nation came together to win that war. Yes, there are people on the front lines, there are people on the front lines, but those people on the front lines don't have bullets unless people back here are providing that. That's how earthly wars are done. Let me tell you something, there's a truth about that in terms of the spiritual war. There's a world out there, there's a world right here around us that needs to be one to Christ, but there's a world out there that needs the gospel, but how are they going to have the gospel if it's not sent? And so you're senders. 
So the church, the existing church, wherever it is, is sending resources and it's also undergirding with prayer. And did you know that when you're on your knees, you're on the front lines of the battle too? And so I just want to thank you as a, as a, as a, as a church. I appreciate Pastor Lynn and, 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 Ms. and Pastor Tammy for their, uh, for their ministry here and partnership with us. And uh, so it's just a joy to be with you. You know, sometimes when I think about what I just said to you about um, how that in this, this year uh, that between January, and we don't have the current, the, the current we, we assess it every three months, so we haven't, it's still June, we haven't ended this cycle yet, but our, the first quarter of this year, we were seeing 17, it was actually 17.6 people making commitments to Christ and 17.5 water baptisms. Somebody said, how do you baptize half a person? I don't know how that happens, but that's just statistics. But 17.5 water baptisms per day. And I think about that sometimes, and I think, how does that happen? God, how? What, what is the principle? What, what is it that, that, is, that is multiplying disciples? How many of you know we need to see disciples multiplied right here? America is a mission field. And is there a principle? What is the core principle? If, if you could boil it down and say, what is the core principle that is bearing fruit on the mission field Prayer is part of it, absolutely. But what is the is there a core principle in Scripture that that is bearing fruit that is making a qualitative difference in people's lives there and what we see sometimes in our own environment? Is there a difference? And I think there there's there may be several, but there's one that I want to uh, highlight today, and I want you to open your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I, I, I'm bringing this message this morning because uh, I don't know what it is about Abundant Life Church here, but I tend to, uh, sometimes when, when I, I come here, uh, the Lord uh, has given me a message and the message, I believe it is for the people I'm giving, but it's a message that I'm going to be preaching other places. Sometimes the Holy Spirit drops a word in my heart, and I'm going to begin to, this is what I'm going to share for a season. It's what's burning in me. How many of you know it wouldn't do me any good for me to come up here and preach to you about something I'm not interested in, would it? That would be a dead preacher preaching a dead message. And so when I share, I just share what's on my heart. But what happened, this is a word that's in my heart so deeply that uh, I'm going to be sharing this in multiple places uh, over the next, whenever I preach. Uh, this, is, this is a word that, that, that God has put in here. And I believe it's a word to the whole body of Christ. Not just one particular church, but it's a word to all of us as believers. That this is a word God wants us to, to grab hold of. And furthermore, I believe it's something that will change our lives. And, and it's a principle that is deeply in the Word of God. This principle is seeded through the Word of God. In fact, we're going to go to several different places in Scripture today because I want you to see this principle, how important this principle is to God. And this principle has to do with missions because it, everything has to do with the mission of God. But it has to do with more than missions. It has to do with our spiritual life. It has to do, this has to do with our marriage. This has to do with our finances. This has to do with 
with our ministry. This has to do with everything in our lives, and it's a fundamental principle that is so important, but it is so seldom emphasized. I got to thinking about this. This is not something, if you go to Books A Million in, uh, in Paducah, or you go online to Amazon to look up a books, and you type in books on success, books on prosperity and success, books on achieving, you will find a lot of books on that subject. You just won't find this principle in any of them. Because as far as I know, this principle is only taught in one book, the Bible. And here's the principle. To set it up, let me explain what's happening in 1 Samuel chapter 15. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, King Saul has been, he is the first king of Israel. And he's been given instructions by God to attack and destroy a particular uh, people that have been very wicked, called the Amalekites. And God said, I want you to go in, I want you to wipe them out. I don't want you to leave anything, I don't want you to leave, I don't want you to leave a cow, I don't want you to leave a sheep, I want you to wipe this group completely out. And so that was Saul's assignment from God. But how many of you remember enough from the story that you know Saul was not really obedient to God, was he? Saul thought, well, now I've got a better idea. We'll go in there and we'll fight a battle and we'll do about 90% of that, but I'm going to keep the king alive. I don't know why he wanted the king, maybe just to, you know, show off that he had captured a king or something. And, and then he said, we're going to keep uh, the, the best of the cattle and the sheep and all of that stuff. And so he didn't fully obey what God said to him to do. And Samuel, the prophet, God spoke to Samuel, and God said, I am sorry that I made that guy king. And he said, I am going to send you with a message to him. And Samuel walks into the camp, and King Saul greets Samuel and said, I have obeyed the Lord. And what did Samuel say? He said, well, what is the meaning of all this bleeding of sheep I hear? He was hearing, he said, what's all that about? And the, and, and, and the king said, well, I, I did uh, keep that. And, and, then, and then he said, well, but what I was going to do with it was we was going to have a big, what was he going to have? A big, it wasn't a picnic like you're having tonight. It wasn't a picnic. A sacrifice. We were going to make a big sacrifice to the Lord. Now listen to what Samuel said in 1 Samuel 15 verse 22. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. I want you to focus on that verse 22. He said, to obey is better than sacrifice. Would you say that sentence out loud with me? To obey is better than sacrifice. Could we say that one more time? 
To obey is better than sacrifice. The title of this sermon this morning is To Obey is Better Than Sacrifice. I'm here to tell you today that the fundamental principle that is missing in a lot of Christian lives is the principle of obedience. And this is a principle that is in the Word of God, and it was stated here by the prophet to obey is better than sacrifice. Now, I want to talk to you about three things then this morning to explain this and to apply this both to our lives and to the world in general and so forth. Number one, first of all, I want to say this. He didn't say that sacrifice wasn't good. How many of you know that God is interested in sacrifice? How many of you have a book in your Bible called the book of Leviticus? If you've got a book in your Bible called the book of Leviticus, it's kind of hard to think that God's not interested in sacrifice. In fact, the Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. In fact, in the Old Covenant, there were all kinds of sacrifices, weren't there? I mean, this, this story right here happened during the Old Testament. This wasn't a New Testament thing when God said to obey is better than sacrifice. This was in the Old Testament, and there was a bunch of sacrifices back then. Somebody say amen here now. There was a bunch of sacrifices in the Old Testament. I mean, there was, how many of you know the Day of Atonement? See, sin against God, God has set up a thing so that, how many of you know the wages of sin is death? And since the wages of sin is death, only the shedding of blood can atone for sins. This is a principle that was established in the Old Testament from the earliest day, from the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. What did God do? He made clothes of skins. In other words, God sacrificed animals and clothed Adam and Eve. And so from the earliest time, it's only through sacrifice that sins are atoned for. And in the Old Covenant, God gave them the Day of Atonement for a, a big sacrifice for the whole nation. And you read the book of Leviticus, there was a burnt offering and a sin offering and a guilt offering and different offerings. And the way they brought the offerings, there were even grain offerings. There was all kinds of offerings. And there were sacrifices that people were to make. And now here's the thing. How many of you are glad you're in the New Covenant today? My goodness, my goodness. I heard Perry Stone on television not long ago, and he was talking about uh, those sacrifices and what it was like, quote, unquote, going to church back in those days. I, I mean, if you went to the temple back in the Old Covenant, it was like being in a slaughterhouse because they worshiped through making sacrifices. And the priests and the Levites did all this stuff. And I'm telling you, but see, the reason today we've come in this place and we haven't done any of that is because we do a different kind of sacrifice. Why? Because, thank God, our one and only blood sacrifice has already been made on the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. At Calvary, the Lamb of God shed his blood. The wonderful thing about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, he is God who became man, and he is the sacrificial lamb, and he's also the high priest that took his blood into the Holy of Holies in heaven, isn't he? That's who Jesus, that's who Jesus is. So our sacrifice, that's why today when you and I slip up or we do something wrong, we need to be forgiven, we don't come into the church building bearing a lamb or something that needs to be sacrificed. Our sacrifice has already been made. Jesus Christ was sacrificed for us. The blood of Jesus is the one and only and final sacrifice for sin. Hallelujah. That's why the Bible said our high priest, when he was finished offering his blood in heaven, he sat down and 
The reason he's sitting is he's done. Amen. Glory Amen. to God. The, the last thing, right before Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is what? Finished. And so the blood of Jesus is our sacrifice. You and I don't have any more sacrifices to bring to God for our sins. We just come to him, and the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And aren't you glad you live in the new covenant? I mean, there's something better in the new covenant than being able to eat a pork chop. Hallelujah. And I'm glad for the pork chop provision too. I don't know about you. But that, that food stuff, thank God for that, but that's not really important. What's really important is the blood of Jesus is what cleanses us from all sin. The Bible says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. So he is our sacrifice, and we receive his forgiveness and his ongoing cleansing through faith in that one and only and final sacrifice. And hallelujah, the sacrifices of that kind are over. However, what are you and I in Christ? We are what? What are we? We are a spiritual priesthood, aren't we? How many of you have heard of the priesthood of the believer? See, we don't, uh, I'm not a priest uh, that is a priest and you not being a priest. Uh, we we, we, we uh, Protestants, we call ourselves ministers or preachers or pastors or something else, but we don't call ourselves priests. Why? Because we are priests, but so are you. St the, the guy that preaches is no more a priest than the person sitting on the back row that knows Jesus Christ as Lord. What does priesthood it mean? It means you have access into the presence of God by the blood of I don't bring you into the presence of God. You can walk boldly into the throne of grace. Because the sacrifice has been made. But you are a priest before God. And what do priests do? Well, they offer sacrifices. You mean we, ha we have sacrifices to offer? Yes, but not blood sacrifices because Jesus was the final blood sacrifice. But what sacrifices do we bring? Well, I'm glad you asked that. That's a good question. Let me mention three of them. Would you turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 13? We're going to run a few references as quickly as possible this morning. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, one of those sacrifices we've already done today. You did it today. We do it every week when we come into a church and when we praise and worship. How many of you remember this sacrifice? In Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15, it says, Therefore by him, now by the him is Jesus. And that's important because it means our sacrifice couldn't get to God if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus. So therefore, by him, by Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Hallelujah. By the way, you may have thought that sacrifice of praise means praising God when you don't feel like it. How many of you have ever thought that? That's not what it means. Sacrifice of praise means that all praise is a sacrifice offered to God. When you and I pray, it, it, the Bible doesn't teach the sacrifice of praise being, well, I, I, when I feel like praising, I just feel like it. But when I don't feel like praising, that's a sacrifice. We're, we're misunderstanding the concept here. He's not using the word sacrifice in that sense. He's saying that when we come into his presence and begin to praise him, that is a sacrifice that we, a holy priesthood, offer at the throne of God. 
So today, if you and I have at any time during this worship service, if at any time during this worship service from your heart there has come a praise to God and it has gone up to him, and it's not just in a worship service. Uh, how many of you know, remember that old song, We Bring the Sacrifice of Praise? See, sometimes we come to church, we don't bring the sacrifice of praise. We try to buy the sacrifice of praise while we're there. Amen, oh me, ouch, or something. See, the, the sacrifice you bring is what you bring from home. They, brought, they, they went out to their flock and brought a lamb. They brought the sacrifice of praise. You're bringing, when we come in together already praising the Lord, then we gather together and we praise together. What are we doing? We are bringing a sacrifice of praise to God. And I want to tell you something. God says that smells good. God Isn't God worthy of receiving that sacrifice of praise? See, as children of God, we bring a sacrifice of praise. When we praise God, when we worship God, we are functioning as that holy priesthood before God. Hallelujah. So I want to encourage you. Pray, and not just in church. It's not, by the way, it doesn't say, verse 15, say, and that happens when we're in church together, does it? It does happen when we're church together. But you know what? Driving down the road, if you'll just begin to praise him, you'll begin to be right in. By the way, let me tell you this. Every sacrifice has a blessing that comes with it. What's the blessing that comes to you when you praise? What is it? It's called the presence of God manifest. The Bible says he inhabits the praises of Israel, his people. And so because God inhabits the praises of his people, the blessing that comes to us, somebody said, well, I don't even feel like worshiping. It doesn't matter. Keep, start worshiping in a little bit, you'll feel better. So, well, I'll praise God when I feel his presence. If you'll praise him, you will feel his presence. Amen. Go ahead, because the ble there's something about, how many of you know the fire doesn't fall on an empty altar? That's good preaching, Brother David. You just keep it on, son. You know, that, the fire falls on an altar we put a sacrifice on. In other words, when we make the sacrifice of praise, when we go ahead and do it no matter how we feel, I'm telling you, the, the Spirit of God comes and begins to bless us. How many of you know that the Holy Ghost is a blessing? He's a blessing. So there's the sacrifice of praise. Number two, as Christians, look at the very next verse. It says, but do not forget to do good and to share. This is Hebrews 13, 16. Do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices... God is well pleased. He's talking about giving there. To confirm that, let's get the mouth of two witnesses in Philippians chapter uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. We all know verse 19. Verse 19 says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But how many of you know the verse right before that says, Paul said, indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Paul and, and the writer to Hebrews both say that giving, God counts when we give, that God counts that as a sacrifice 
offered to him, sweet smelling. I mean, is that news to you? I don't know if you've known. And it's the next, it's after. And what's, remember, there's always a blessing that comes from sacrifice. When I, when I praise, I get the sacrifice, I get the blessing of his presence. When I give, I get the blessing of verse 19. My God's able to, you know, uh, to, to uh, what did it say? Let me, let me, let me get it. Let me, let me, let me read it here. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Jesus said it this way: Give, and it shall be given to you. And how many of you know you can't outgive God? There ain't no sense in being stingy with God because that's a that's a really bad idea. God just you you just can't outgive Him. It's impossible. And so giving is a sacrifice. Praise is a sacrifice. Giving is a sacrifice. Most important sacrifice is the one in Romans chapter 12. Let me quickly uh, get to this because this is just one point of my message this morning. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 that y'all, I know you know this. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He said, present your bodies a living sacrifice. How can I present my body to God? How can I, the word present can be translated sometimes as yield. He says that you yield or present your body. He's talking about your physical body to God as a living sacrifice. So how in the world do I do that? Let me tell you how you do it. Let me give you an example. You're walking down the road and there's an opportunity for your eyes to go somewhere they ought not go. And you say, Lord, I've given my eyes to you. I'm going to look over this direction instead. You're going along and there's an opportunity for your ears to listen to something they ought not be listening to. And you say, Lord, I'm presenting my body, even the parts of my body. Lord, I'm giving my ears to you as, I'm, as a living sacrifice. I'm yielding my ears to you. How many of you know here's the big one? We're going along and we have an opportunity to flap that thing right there. How many of you know the biggest problem I have is that thing right there? I don't know about you, but my biggest problem is my mouth. Anybody else with me? How many of you have had opportunity to yield your tongue to God as a living sacrifice, but you went ahead and yielded it the other way? Anybody else? Now, I'm telling you, when you do that, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive us. But you see, God wants us. How many of you want to please God? He wants us, and here's what God, hey, let me tell you something. There are times when keeping your mouth shut is a sacrifice. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard because you know what, bless God, I wish I was ready to say that. And the Holy Spirit says, no, no. And at that moment, we have a choice. Are we going to yield our body a living sacrifice or not? Hello. Now, here's the point that I'm making here. Jesus is the final blood sacrifice. But as priests before God, we, have, we are priests and we are to give the sacrifice of praise. 
And we're to give the sacrifice of giving. God has given us stuff, and he wants us to give to bless people and bless the kingdom of God. He wants us to pay our tithes and all. He, he is telling us to give, and God says, that's a sacrifice. It's pleasing to me when you do that. And he wants us to yield our bodies to him and not to the flesh. Hey, by the way, what is the blessing you get from, the, from yielding our bodies as a sacrifice? You know what I think it is? Fullness of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The the filling of the Holy Spirit is when our whole being, including our bodies, are filled with him instead of something else. The fullness of the Holy Spirit in an ongoing way is the benefit of that yieldedness. Now, that is all true. But Brother David, the text this morning said, what did it say? What is this sermon about? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Now somebody might say to me, now explain that to me. If God is so interested in sacrifice, and he is, to the point that he has made us a spiritual priesthood and we offer the sacrifice of praise and the sacrifice of giving and even the sacrifice of our physical bodies in yieldedness to him and God counts that as a sacrifice and says we are priests before God. If God is interested in sacrifice that way, then what does it mean? Why would he say to Saul, what do you mean the key principle is obedience is better than sacrifice? And here's the reason. Because although those sacrifices are important, and even in the Old Testament, those sacrifices were important. God was not downplaying the sacrifices. Nonetheless, listen to what I have to say here. There are times when we can do a sacrificial act in a perfunctory or a religious way while our heart is far away from God. We can disobey his actual command and yet keep a religious observance. We can do it. And God don't like that. I mean, he really, really, really doesn't like it. When Saul said, I'm not going to obey what God said, but it'll be okay because I'll make this sacrifice. God said to him, your destiny has just been changed. He said, I'm going to remove you from being king. I can't trust you to fulfill my purpose on the earth. And the prophet said, God, he didn't say God doesn't delight in sacrifice, but he said he doesn't have as much delight. He says obedience is you can't disobey God on Saturday and have God overlook it based on how you worship on Sunday. Now the old timers back at the old the old timers in the Pentecostal days when I was growing up, they said it like this. They said it ain't how loud you shout or how high you jump, but it's how straight you walk when you come down. That's how they used to say it. In other words, religious observance does not preclude us 
from obedience to his word. And if we think that our obedience, that, that our sacrifice, if, see, because praise and worship can even become a perfunctory thing, can it? Where it's really not from the heart. Where we're just, we're doing our thing, but it's really not from the heart. See, we can do a religious thing that looks like sacrifice, but our hearts are far from God. The Old Testament is full of, of things about this. Let me just read a couple of them to you. When I tell you that God is really, 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 really serious about that, I mean he really is. The prophet Amos said, and you may not have time to find this, but the reference is Amos chapter 5, verse 21 to 24. Just listen to what the God said through Amos. He said, now listen, this is God speaking. He said, I hate I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. And what is, what is he saying? Now, God is not saying, I don't want the praise. What God is saying is, if you're not going to walk in my ways in your life, this religious stuff you're doing, I don't want any part of it. Now, this is a hard word, isn't it? But, ladies and gentlemen, I must tell you today, this is a word that we, God's people, must hear. We must hear this. I am right now training a man from Nigeria. He's a he's a, a a a leader from Nigeria. He lives here in the United States, uh, and uh, but he's going back uh, to Nigeria. He's uh, he's in this area for a little while, and I've spent nine hours with him, and I'm going to be spending about six more hours with him this coming week training him, he said to me, he heard about what we're doing and, and, and what, what we're seeing happen in Latin America, and he said, I'm going back. He's going back to Nigeria next month, and he said, we need this so badly. And I was spending some time a couple of weeks with him, training him and talking to him about the, the methodologies and what we're doing, the principles and so forth, and I'm talking to him about what we call obedience-based discipleship. And as I'm sharing this with him, he says to me, as I'm giving him all these principles and so forth, he says to me, we need this so bad in Nigeria. And he said these words to me. He said, good things are happening. Don't, don't get me wrong. God has done some amazing things in Nigeria. But these are the words he said. The churches in Nigeria are stuck. He said, and we don't know what to do. He said we're doing everything we know to do and we're stuck. And when he said that to me, that lodged in my brain. That thought just lodged in me and I thought, well, I, it's not just in Nigeria. And it's all over the world. And not only that, it's not just the churches. I got to realizing a lot of Christians are stuck. Let me ask you a question. I'm not wanting you to, to give me a show of hands, but I want to ask you this question. Do, is there an area in your life, I'm not asking you to respond, I'm just asking you to think about this. Is there an area in your life 
that you would describe as I'm stuck. Some people are stuck in their finances. It's the same problem, the same problem, the same problem, the same problem, the same problem. They're where they were 10 years ago, where they were 10 years ago is where they are now, and it's the same thing over and over again, and it's like there's a wall they can't penetrate. It might be the finances. It might be in the family. It might be in the marriage. It might be in a person's work. It might be in their business. It might be in their ministry. It might be in whatever, but there's an element of stuckness. I think all of us can... Uh, can relate to this in some way. That there's an area. I'm not saying change for change's sake. I'm not talking about that. But I'm just talking about it just seems like we just are battering against this same wall and no matter what we do, we can't get past it and we go to church and I'm doing the sacrifice of praise and I'm doing the sacrifice of giving and there are blessings that come but even though the blessings are coming I'm still stuck this wall is still there I cannot get past it this thing and I, and many people have got to the place they say well that's just the way it's going to be and some people settle down and then some people say if that's what serving God is like, I'm not going to, if I'm going to be stuck in this place spiritual or stuck, then I'm just going to go seek some other way out. And they just can't get past this. It's, let me just say this. I'm not asking you. All I'm saying is, does that resonate with anybody? Amen? And if it's not you, you know somebody that's stuck. They're stuck somewhere. Something is not moving. That thing won't move. They've done every, listen, they've done Every sacrifice they know to make. They've done every prayer. They've done every praise. They've given money. They've sowed seed. They've done this. They've done that. They've done their sacrificial work, but they're stuck. In Jesus' name, I'm here to unstick you today. Hallelujah. Glory to God, because I'm tired of being stuck. I don't know about you. I'm ready to move forward into the fullness of what God has for my life. I don't know about you. I'm ready to move into the fullness of God's purpose in my life. How many of you know we only have one life and I'm not going to waste mine? Hallelujah. How do I get unstuck? How does the kingdom of God get unstuck? There's a lost and dying world. There are still thousands of unreached people groups and many places the kingdom of God is stuck and we've got to get unstuck because we've got to get our job done. Hallelujah. How do we get unstuck? And here's what the man said to me. And believe me, this man from Nigeria is an experienced man of God. But he said, what you're telling me is what we need. And that's, that's stuck into my mind. And I realized, what is the principle? The principle is, as Christians, we have gotten real good at sacrifice. We know how to do praise, and we know how to give, and we know how to yield, and we know that. But there are areas in our life where we're not walking in obedience. And what got King Saul stuck was not that he didn't know how to do a sacrifice. What got him stuck was his lack of obedience, what, to the word of God.
What's the principle? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Now, I want to, uh, I'm not going to read another scripture. I can read Isaiah. I can reinforce that from other scriptures, but I'm not going to for sake of time. What I want to get to is this, obedience. What is this? If, the sacri- if we understand that the sacrifices are important and that the sacrifices bring blessing, if we understand that our praise brings blessing and our giving brings blessing and our, and our yielding to the Holy Spirit brings blessing, if we understand that, that that is true, but we also understand that we can do all of that and do it in a religious way and still have disobedience in our life that is blocking us, how do we move into the obedience? There are five things I want to tell you about obedience. If you take notes, you could write these five things down, and I'm going to give them to you very quickly. Number one, the first thing I want to tell you about obedience is that God's kingdom purpose comes through obedience, not sacrifice. God's kingdom purpose comes through obedience, not sacrifice. God's kingdom advances. We move forward through obedience not through a religious act of sacrifice. We move, God's kingdom advances through obedience. And my example of that is just going, I'm not going to read another scripture because we've already read the scripture. King Saul is the example. See, God had a kingdom purpose that he wanted achieved. And guess what? His kingdom purpose was not achieved. So he said, well, it says he killed all the Amalekites. Well, he didn't get them all. You know how I know? Because years later, when Saul was killed and was dead on a battlefield, uh, 16 chapters later in 1 Samuel, do you know who it was that came and brought the message to David, who became the next king? It was a straggling Amalekite. (laughs) So he didn't get them all, did he? God's kingdom purpose is advanced through obedience and wherever in our life we are not obeying God's word where we know we're supposed to obey it, wherever we are aware of an obedience we're supposed to give, we don't. Right, that thing right there is like super glue that will stuck us right where we're at. Where we're stuck is at the point of obedience. And a lot of times they say, well, I don't see how that can be because I'm not aware of anything I'm disobeying. All right then, we'll get to that in just a minute. We'll get to that in just a minute. But, and and I'm going to grant that, that there's many people that are stuck in areas of their life and they are not aware, they are not consciously disobeying anything that God has told them to do. And I'm going to deal with that issue in just a moment. Uh, You're going to want me to deal with that because I think the most of us that find ourselves stuck in areas of our life are not aware of an area of disobedience. And so we're going to talk about that. But let me say this. It may be that somebody is hearing my voice either in this room or on the CD or on the podcast because I know this is going to be broadcast on a podcast. Somebody is hearing my voice and you actually are aware of an area of disobedience. And friend, I don't need to say any more to you because I'm telling you, if you are aware of an area of disobedience to God in your life, that's the explanation of where you're stuck. 
and all you have to do is simply obey. How many of you know it's real simple? When my when we were my daughter, thank God she's 28 and married and going out of the house. Hallelujah. I love her. But uh, I'm telling you, uh, I don't know what happened to her. When she was a kid, she lived upstairs in our house. And let me tell you, it was a hazmat zone. I'm telling you, clean the room. She, see, she's not here to hear me, so I can say anything I want and won't owe her no money. Uh, but I'm telling you the truth. I, we, we used to have to wade through the junk to get through there, you know. Now she's got her own house down the road from us. We walk in that house where, with her and her husband. It's, it's pristine. It's beautiful. It's totally clean. I'm like... Who in the world are you? <laughs> Why did you treat my house this way? And now look at this, you know. But there's just something about that. Here's the point I'm making is there was always consequences for disobedience. If when Lindsay was growing up, when she was in our house, if she was disobedient, there'd be consequences. Sometimes she'd get stuck. Ever heard of being grounded? She was stuck. You want to be unstuck? Do what I told you to do. Well, God, how many of you know God's a good father too? If we're stuck and we are aware that it is because of an area of obedience, then shift. First of all, get forgiveness. Lord, I mean, it don't do no good to say, Lord, forgive me. I apply the blood. He forgives you. And then just stay in the disobedience. You're still stuck. Say, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, he forgives us and cleanses, and now step over and get into obedience. And guess what? If that is the thing that's got us stuck, that's going to come unstuck right there. Well, it will hinder the advance of the kingdom. The second thing about obedience is this. Obedience may require a sacrifice. Yes, remember, we're not downplaying sacrifice I don't want you to hear this as downplaying or coming against sacrifice. As I've already said, that sacrifice, that sacrificial praise, that sacrificial giving, that sacrifice of our body yielding to the Holy Spirit is a part of obedience, as a matter of fact. In fact, Matthew, just to give you an example, Jesus himself is the example. Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 36, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, Jesus was about to go make the ultimate sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God, and a sacrifice. As for him, obedience required the total sacrifice. And so I don't want you to hear what I'm saying as being anti to the sacrifice. What I'm wanting you to hear is that a sacrifice without obedience, a religious sacrifice means nothing to God. But a sacrifice that comes because of obedience means everything to God. A sacrifice that comes because of obedience may require sacrifice. In Matthew 28, here are the Great Commission. This is, the core, this is one of the core passages of Scripture for my life. Jesus said, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. Teaching them what? To obey all things 
I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The third point about obedience of this, obedience is the heart of what it means to be a disciple. I want you to notice that when, when God gave us the Great Commission, listen to me carefully. God did not tell us missionaries, go get people saved. That's not the Great Commission. That's not what it says. There is no place where it says, go get people saved. It says, go make disciples. And discipleship is, is involves salvation, but it's bigger than salvation. God told us, make disciples, people that will follow Jesus and teach them to obey Jesus. Now, if we make disciples and teach them to obey Jesus in that process, how many of you know they're going to get saved by the grace of God? But it's not just a matter of, how many of you know, God, God's plan, Jesus didn't die on the cross just so somebody could come in, repeat a prayer, get wet in the baptistry, and sit down and dry off. He died on the cross not just to save us from hell, but to save our life in this life as well. He died on the cross, yes, to save us from hell, and that may be an initiation to it, but it's a, the Christian life is more than just the fact that I got saved sometime back then. It is an ongoing walk as a disciple of Jesus Christ, hearing from him and obeying him and praising him and offering the sacrifices to him and following him whithersoever he leads us. That's what it's all about. And he didn't say, go get people saved. He said, make disciples. Get people into that track of following Jesus. Make disciples. Teach them to obey. Teach them to follow. Teach them to hear him and obey. Here's what I'm saying. Obedience to God is the heart of what it means to be a disciple. God wants you and me to be disciples Again, let me say this again. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God is not saying to you, God is not saying to you, come to me now and get saved and then don't go to hell. That's not what he's saying to you. He's going to take care of that, but what he's saying is, come to me and follow me every day for the rest of your life. He's not just saying, have one exchange with me at the altar one day. He is actually calling you. You remember Peter and John were out, and James, you know, Peter and Andrew and James and John were out there fishing. And Jesus said, come and follow me. And my brothers and sisters, Jesus is saying the same thing to you and to me today. Today, Jesus is saying to you, are you hearing me? Today, Jesus is saying to you, come follow me. He wants you to be, to be a follower, a disciple. Obedience is the heart of what it means to be a disciple. The fourth thing about obedience, and I'm almost done here, is this. Obedience, now listen to this, is the entryway into the supernatural power of God. You remember I said when we're stuck sometimes in an area of our life, it's like this wall, there's something we can't get past. 
It may be a wall in your emotions. It may be a wall in your mind. It may be a wall in your circumstances. It may be a wall in your... There's something that is blocking you and you're saying, I am stuck here. I've been here for the last 10 years. I cannot get past here. There is something blocking. Guess what? God knows all about these blockages. Uh, But the key to getting past a wall or a river or a Red Sea or a Jordan River is the supernatural power of God to remove that obstacle. There, is, there are obstacles in the way between you and God's full purpose in your life. There are obstacles in the way. There's no doubt about it. You know how I know it? Because you're on earth and the devil has filled this world with obstacles. And the same thing happened in the days of Moses. Moses was out there and he led the children of Israel. And what happened? Pharaoh and the armies behind them. And they come up and what was in front of them? How many remember the Red Sea? And God said to Moses... Take that stick and go out there and hold that stick out over the, the, uh, the, the sea and the sea will part. Now, I want you to understand that there is no power in a stick to split water. If you don't believe me, this evening before you come to the picnic, run out to Kentucky Lake and hold a stick out in front of it. It ain't going nowhere. Why? Because God never told you to hold a stick over the water. But he told Moses to. God to- So Moses could have stood at the river and he could have done a victory dance and the water would have stayed right there. He could have held a hallelujah service and the water would have stayed right there. Because God didn't say hold a hallelujah service. God said pick up that stick and hold it out. When God says pick up that stick and hold it out, you better pick up that stick and hold it out. And if you pick up that stick and hold it out, that water's fixing to get out of your way. Because obedience is the key to the supernatural removing the blockage. The very same thing happened. You know what happened? The children of Israel went out in the wilderness. Guess what? They got blocked up in the wilderness. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. Talk about stuck. You want to read about a group of people that stuck? Them people in the wilderness were stuck. But one day God said to Joshua, now cross over Jordan and go in there and take the land. Now there's there's, there's Amalekites and Jebusites and Hivites and Hittites and every kind of ite over there. There's the, there's the city of Jericho, which is a great big old thick wall built all around it. And not only that, it's, it's the certain time of year and the river Jordan is between you and there and it's overflowing its banks. And God said, tell these guys to pick up the Ark of the Covenant and to walk out into the water. And those feet got wet that time but when they walked into the water the water split in front of them well why didn't he hold out the stick because God didn't tell him to hold out the stick God said to Moses hold out the stick God said to Joshua pick up the ark and walk out into the water see the key was not you understand holding out a stick is not the way we split obeying God is how we split the water obeying God obedience is the key to seeing it happen. See, Joshua had to get used to obeying God. 
we got used to disobeying God, but Joshua got, had to get used to obeying God. Joshua got you because God told him. See, God has a way sometimes of telling us stuff that to our mind seems stupid. Like, for instance, you want to get across the water? Just start walking into it. I mean, I mean, we would think build a boat. Build a whole bunch of boats. Build a bridge. God said, no, just walk, walk, go ahead and walk on out in the water carrying that big old box with you. And he did it. And they get on the other side. God says, you see that great big city? Yes, Lord. What are we going to do? We need catapults. We need all kinds of weapons. God said, no. What I want you to do is just march around it every, uh, one, one time every, for six days. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around it seven times. And after you've done that, I want you to blow a horn. Then, then you won't have no trouble. How many of you know that ain't in nobody's military textbook? But if they had built catapults, they'd have never taken that city. They took the city because what did they do? They obeyed God. And when they walked around once for six days and seven times on the seventh day and blew the horn and made the shout, when they did that, the walls fell down. God removed the obstacle. Obedience, not sacrifice. Obedience, not sacrifice, is the key to the supernatural. You see, there is a sacrifice that is the key to the supernatural, but that sacrifice was already made on the cross. You don't have to make a sacrifice to bring the supernatural. Jesus has already paid the price for the miracles with his blood. You just need to obey him. Hallelujah. Obey him. Now you don't obey what everybody else is doing. You obey him. Obey the Lord. I'm going to... See what, I, okay, I'm about, to, I'm about to land the plane. We're circling the airport right now. Don't worry, passengers. We're going to land it right now. See, here's what I want to tell you as I close today. How many of you want to get unstuck in every area of your life? How many of you want to enter across that Jordan into the supernatural, into the fullness of what God wants you to do? It's not going to come through religious observance. It comes through obedience. And folks, I'm going to close by telling you this story and reading you one scripture. Many years ago when I was in the fifth grade, I grew up here in Marshall County from the time I was in the third grade. We moved here when I was in the third grade. I went to Brinesburg Elementary School from the second half of the third grade till the end of the sixth grade. Then I went to North Marshall and I finished North Marshall and then I went to Marshall County and I graduated from Marshall County. We didn't have a Christian school at our church back then. I started that school when I came back after being in college. But I went to school here. But anyway, when I was in the fifth grade at Brinesburg Elementary School, it's now an apartment complex. People live there now. One of our missionaries live over there right now. But when I was in the fifth grade, one day our teacher came in. And by the way, this funny story about this teacher. She was my fifth grade teacher, and she paddled me for talking. I know none of you can believe that that happened. That was not the last whipping I got in school, but it was ne the next to the last whipping that I got in school. My last whipping was over here at North Marshall. But, uh, for, and again, for being late, I was always slow, or I was, I was always talking or slow. That was my offenses. And you know what? I still, Patty still paddles me every now and then for both of them things. But uh, one day in the fifth grade over there, 
what I was going to tell you was funny about her was that years later, when I was at Christian Fellowship as a pastor and we had a school, uh, years later, we hired her and she taught for me. I was the boss of the woman that paddled me for a time. That's true. That's true. But my fifth, and she remembered hitting me too. I, and, uh, but uh, when I was in the fifth grade, one day she came in with this exercise. Now, I don't know if they did this when you were a kid, and I don't know if they still do this thing in schools or not. It was something she did, and it was the fifth grade. She brought us a piece of paper, and she handed every student a piece of paper that had writing on it. And she said to us, listen carefully to what I'm saying to you. She said, I want you to do what this paper says, but listen to me carefully. You read the entire paper before you do anything. Do you understand? All of us said, oh, yeah, yeah, we understand. Yeah, yeah. And so the first line, it said, the first line said, read carefully everything on this paper before you do anything. Then, the next thing, and I don't remember what it was, but the next line, one of them said, pat your belly. The next one said, pull your ear. The next one said, uh, jiggle your right foot. Now, the next line, jiggle your left foot. Now, pat the top of your head. Now, stick your tongue out. You know, And it was just one little silly thing after another, after another, going down, going down, going down. And then at the very bottom, it said, now that you have read this paper, sign, do nothing except sign your name at the top and turn the paper upside down on your page. Well, I read that through, and I realized that this was a test of obedience. Can you? She was trying to teach us how to follow instructions to the letter because we weren't really supposed to do any of that stuff. The first instruction was read it all, do nothing. The last thing was now that you've read it, only sign your name and turn the paper over. So I realized it, and I took my pencil, and I signed my name on it, and I turned it over, and I looked around, and every other kid in that class was going... I, and I'm looking around, and all of a sudden, you know what it's like when you're the, you, you feel like, you, well, I, I, I know, look, and, I, and I'm thinking, they, they're not, that said to just do that, and, and, but all the rest of them were doing it. How many of you know what I did? I, I could not have confidence in the instructions. I couldn't just believe the instructions and do what the instructions said. I because everybody else was doing this, what did I do? I flipped it around and I said, all right, here I go. And I went through the whole thing and I was about two-thirds through with it and the teacher was looking around and she said, you people can't follow instructions. And she reprimanded us and taught us that we had not followed instructions. And then I was so mad because I did understand it. I understood it and I was going to do it right, but I was looking at what everybody else was doing and I didn't want to look strange. Do I need to apply this to the Christian world? <laughs> See, so many of us are watching what everybody else is doing, aren't we? 
we're watching what this group is doing and what that group is doing and we're running here and we're running there and we want to be like this and we want to be like that and we want to be like the other and we're following this and we're following that and God said, this is my word. The key to the supernatural is not sacrifice. The key to the supernatural is not look around at what's popular. It's not look at this and that and the other. The key is obey my word. Obey my word. And what will we do? We will follow the crowd and disobey the word so often. And it leads us to being stuck. Because the truth about it is, as I told you before, sometimes... What God seems to tell us to do in his word don't make sense to our mind. It doesn't make sense that holding out a rod will split the Red Sea. It doesn't make sense that stepping into the Jordan will split the Jordan. It doesn't make sense that walking seven times around a building and shouting will make the walls fall down. It does, none of that makes sense. But it's just God said to do it. And before Joshua did any of that, and I'm closing with this, the fifth principle is, Obedience starts with a radical relationship with God's word. With a commitment that says, God, what your word says, I hear it, I will understand it, I will believe it, and I will obey it. A, a radical obedience to the word of God is the beginning of, of obedience God said to Joshua in Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. He said if you want to get this thing going in your life, he said, I'm not against sacrifice. In fact, I bless the sacrifices. The sacrifices bring blessing, and they will bring blessing as long as you're being obedient to my word. The sacrifices will be blessed as long as you're obeying me. But you can't substitute sacrifice for obedience. The supernatural doesn't begin with sacrifice. The supernatural begins with obedience. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. It's got to start by reading it. It's got to start by you confessing it. It's got to start by you learning it. It's got to start with being in your mouth. And you shall meditate in it day and night. Meditate in it. He said, I want it to be in your mind. I want you to think about it. I want you to understand it. I want you to believe it. I want it to be in your heart. I want this book. I want this book to be in your mouth so that it will be in your mind so that you will observe to do, to obey according to all that is written in it. For then you will have, uh, then you will prosper and then you will have have good success it starts with this and so here is where I close this this morning and I know we've been on a big journey and it's been kind of a long message but I want to say this to you this is where we're landing the plane today I want to encourage you I want to tell you listen you may not be able to see how that obedience, radical obedience to the word of God. He said, well, what would that have to do with this thing that's got me stuck? What would this have to do? I don't even see how that affects. What I'm telling you is you and I don't have to understand how it works. All we have to do is obey him. 
Obey him and trust him. He knows how to split the water. He knows how to move the mountain. He knows how to make the walls of Jericho fall. God knows how to do it. He will do it. It may be a principle. It may be like a set of dominoes that start falling. I don't know how he's going to do it, but what I know is this. If you and I, if what we're doing has got us stuck, then say, you know, for the next period of time, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to say, God, I believe that this book is your word and I am going to read your word and I am going to declare it out of my mouth and then I'm going to say this, Holy Spirit, show me today how to obey today what I read this morning. Holy Spirit, today open my eyes into practical obedience of what you have said to me and that is where it begins. And here's what I want to tell you something. I'm going to tell you this, that if for the next 30 days, if you haven't already been doing this, if in the next 30 days, somebody, because here's what I said. Remember earlier in the message I said, but many of us say I'm stuck but I don't know of any, I don't know of any disobedience. I'm not aware of of any disobedience. And it may not be an issue of sin. I'm not, no, I'm not talking about that. We're just not aware of an area of disobedience. But here's the problem. We don't know what we don't know. How many of you know none of us are currently conscious of every principle in the Bible right now? And there are things that there are keys in the Word of God. There are keys that open doors that are locked to us that we don't even know the key is in there because we haven't seen it yet. And so if we will just begin a lifestyle of reading, but not just reading it for knowledge, but when you finish reading the Bible tomorrow morning, say this. Say, God, what do you have me to do today? How do I obey this today? Not in general, not what I should do, but specifically what do I do today to obey this word? Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you something, and I can almost guarantee this to you, that if you do that as a habit and as a process, if that becomes a process in your life, it may not happen the first day. It, that, it may not happen that first instance, but what's going to happen is so as you process it that way, God is going to show you the obedience that's going to open the door. You, will, you apply that principle, and you apply that principle, and you ask the Holy Ghost to show you. You keep doing the sacrifice of praise. You keep doing the sacrifice of giving. You keep doing the sacrifice of yielding to the Holy Spirit, and you radically obey that word every day. What are you telling me? You, you, you apply that for 30 days, and you'll see that 30 days from now, you're going to find that things are going to begin to change. You're going to find that some things that were stuck are going to start being unstuck. You're going to see that there may not, the whole wall may not be gone, but there's an earthquake shaking that wall right now. You're going to see that God is at work removing the obstacle in your life. Hallelujah. How many of you received that today? Hallelujah. Can we stand to our feet this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Brother Kenny, would you come and just pr and play something here uh, for us behind us just for a moment as we pray? Hallelujah. Father, we come to you in the name of of Jesus and we thank you for your goodness today because you have given us your word 
Lord, if it wasn't for your word, if you hadn't have given us your word, Father, we would be like, like lost children lost in the woods, not knowing the way out. If it wasn't for your word and your Holy Spirit, Lord, we'd have no guidance. We'd have no compass. And we'd be stuck and we'd be lost and we wouldn't know. But, Lord, I thank you that you've given us your word. And, Father, you've taught us a principle. You've said that obedience is better than sacrifice. Sacrifice is good. The sacrifice of praise is good. The sacrifice of giving is good. There's a blessing that comes from these sacrifices that we make for you. Oh, yes, Lord. And we want to do it, and we want to do it more. We even want that to be a part of our obedience. But, Father, in Jesus' name, there are some areas in our life that we've been stuck. And, Lord, we're not afraid to admit it to you, Lord, that there's areas in our life, Lord, there's barriers to your purpose, and somehow we just these things have just stood up against us. And we've done everything we know to do. We've prayed every prayer we know to pray. But, Father, we believe that in your word there's a key. And so, Lord, today we want to begin to, to make a fresh commitment to you, to your word, Lord, uh, to, to, to obey, Lord. Obedience is better than sacrifice, Lord. And we want to co uh, commit ourselves to that today. I want everybody here today just to pray this prayer out loud with me. What it is, I'm, I'm just going to lead us in a prayer of commitment to obedience to the Word of God. If you want to commit yourself to obedience to the Word of God in a fresh way today, and, and you want God to open the Bible, if, if the Bible has seemed like a mysterious book to you, I believe we're going to pray today and God's going to begin to give you understanding in the Word of God like He's never had. The Bible tells us that when Jesus, after He was raised from the dead, was walking with people, He opened their mind to understand the Scriptures. That's what the Bible says. He opened their mind to understand the Scriptures. If there's been a blockage in your understanding, if there's been, if it's been uh, wooden, if it's not had life in it with you, God wants to change that today and 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 if you want that to change if you want that to change that's going to change because God's going to do that today so here's what I want you to do pray this with me say heavenly father in the name of Jesus I thank you for your word and I receive the word that's been taught to me today and I thank you Lord for the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for my sins. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I believe he's risen from the dead. And I believe the Holy Spirit is given to me and my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill me today. I give you my body as a living sacrifice. I yield my eyes, my ears, my mouth. All of my body I yield to you, Lord. Fill me, Holy Spirit. And Lord, I declare, I believe that the Bible is your word to me. And Lord, I'm dedicating myself to read your word, not just for knowledge and not just as a ritual, but to hear from you. And I declare, Lord, by your grace, I'm going to begin to obey your word in a new way. When I read your word tomorrow, Lord, show me how to obey it tomorrow. Open my heart, Lord. Open my mind.
to understand your word. Just like you did those disciples. Open your word to me, Lord. I receive a fresh anointing of understanding of the word of God. And I'm going to step out and obey it, Lord, in a new way. And I thank you, Lord, that the sea is going to part and the walls are going to fall and the obstacles are going to move <laughs> and I'm going to be unstuck. <laughs> in Jesus' name, I receive it by faith right now. And, Lord, I'm going to apply it starting this day in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let's go ahead now and give the Lord praise for that. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. We receive a new understanding, a new heart, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Well, glory to God. How many of you believe it's been a good day? Thank you, Jesus.